Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and I'm so excited today because I got to talk to another bookstore concierge. Marianne Reiner hails from San Diego, California, and as you would expect from a great bookseller, she chose a book that I wouldn't have picked up on my own. But once I read it, it absolutely changed my understanding of something fundamental. In this case, America's flawed prison system. Marianne joined me today to talk about why Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson is the best book ever. Hi, Marianne. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to have you. I'm such a fan of you and your work. Will you tell my listeners a little bit about what it is that you do or a lot about what you do? (laughs) Sure. Thank you. Uh, So I'm a bookseller in San Diego. My business is called Run for Cover Bookstore. And I had opened a brick and mortar bookstore almost three years ago uh, in October 2005, uh, 2018. Sorry. And I, it was a dream literally the dream of my adult life if not even before um and there were a lot of things happening good and bad and unfortunately the pandemic happened and some of the more difficult parts of the business became just unmanageable and so I had to make the very hard decision to close the brick and mortar uh bookstore um on July 2020 um and I just couldn't see myself not continuing to do some form of book selling and sharing books and sharing my love of books with people so I kind of pivoted and you know converted again to another role. Uh, and I call it now, you know, depending on the days, but, uh, uh, book concierge, a local virtual bookseller, uh, your neighborhood bookseller, however you want to call it. So basically, uh, I continue to be really active on my social media and my newsletter and people who had followed me from the beginning continue to buy books with me, get recommendations from me, uh, attend some virtual events that I do with authors And in the process, I've gained new customers. So it's been an interesting last year and a half. So I'm still in the book selling business, just in a different form. But a lot over the last year and a half, I saw you post pictures of your car loaded down (laughs) with book packages. I'm going to tell you, honestly, those everything made me cry over the last year and a half. But those Mm -hmm. pictures, the notion that someone was out delivering books by hand brought me to tears. Are you still doing that? So yes, I absolutely continue to do this. And so how it started was I had never delivered books when I had my brick and mortar. There was no reason people were coming in the bookstore, picking up their orders or just choosing on the fly. You know, it was no reason to do this. But the second the pandemic hit and we were shut down and rightly so, I, I would not have stayed open, obviously, I realized, um, you know, I I heard other booksellers says, well, we're an essential business. And, you know, 
even if I think it's maybe a little bit of a stretch, I, I mean, yeah, books are essential to me, but are they really essential to everyone else? So um, I thought, you know, I can bring books to customers. They can continue to order their books and I can safely get them to their front porch, to their front door without ever seeing them. I also had customers who were not in town. So I started mailing books to them via media mail. You know, people ask me, well, why do you keep doing this? And there's two answers to this. I um, first now more and more, I get to see people even behind, you know, their windows or sometimes they come out and we stay at a safe distance. And it's, it's really nice because this is really something I miss so much about having the store. Um, it's the thing I miss the most, obviously, but another reason is, um, I hand write a little note on everyone's books on every delivery I make. And, this is the difference between me and an Amazon truck. Um, you know, and Amazon workers work hard and it's not who my gripe is against, mm-hmm. but, you know, the company will never put a handwritten note to someone uh, saying why, you know, I might have liked the book and why I'm so happy to share it with them or, or why I'm actually curious about this book because I hadn't heard about it until they ordered it. And now I want to read it or, you know, whatever um, relationship I, I have fostered with my customers. I try to just in a few words, put it out in my deliveries. And, and I think it does make a difference. You said when you were first describing it, you described it as a, a book concierge service. Tell me what that means. It's tailored to the needs and wants of the customer. So let's say you reach out and you say, hey, Marianne, you know, uh, my niece is celebrating her 12th birthday. She's not a huge reader, but here's what she has liked in the past. Do you think you could come up with two, three books that you think she would like. Um, I love that. That's a great challenge, you know? And, and again, you can spend some time online. You can probably find some books, but do you want to do this? Do you have the time to do this? The patience? Most people usually don't. And so they turn to someone like me who will tailor uh, their request, their wish and hopefully we'll deliver something that works, you know. And that's where you really get the um, books that aren't necessarily on the charts, that aren't necessarily yeah. the trendy books. Exactly. You know, I know that everyone has heard, and they're great, and I read them, and I like them, you know. But I know that everyone has read the Oprah recommendations or the mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon's yes. recommendations or read with Jenna or, you know, target book club or this and that, this is great. I mean, it really, you know, puts books in the hands of everyone and, and um, authors sometimes who have, you know, for whom it's their first book, you know, get to become major celebrities, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful, but there are so many books published every day that fly so deeply under the radar um, that I feel like it's my role as a curious bookseller to try to bring it to the forefront, to try to bring it to people who may not have heard about it. Marion, how did you become such a reader? What role has reading played in your lifetime? 
That's a great question. First, I want to say I come from a family where I was very, very privileged to be surrounded by books my entire childhood. My father was a librarian. My mother was a pediatrician who was a huge bookworm. She actually probably was more instrumental in in developing my love of books um, than my father. I mean, my father too, but she probably was more. Um, I had an amazing, I had amazing teachers who, you know, woke this interest in me, an amazing librarian at my school, at my elementary school back in France. But the interesting thing, and I, I often share this because I want people to know that um, I did not always like to read. And um, I actually, because my parents were such forms, I am convinced that I, I refused to learn to read until I was seven, which at the time back in France, you know, teachers were starting to be like, well, something wrong with her. <laughs> and uh, no, nothing was wrong. I was just stubborn and everybody was reading around me. So why would I, you know, people were reading to me all the time. So why would I make the effort? You know, I probably was a little bit lazy. Um, anyway, I finally learned to read, which made my parents, you know, feel a lot better. But between the age of seven and 10, I read, but I didn't like to read. And then I remember very, very clearly one summer we were on vacation with my parents and we had a a family friend. She, uh, she's a year older than me and she would often join us for a week or two in the summer. She lived in another part of the country. And so that was our only time to get together And she was a huge reader. And I remember she was reading a book and she was totally into it. And I kept asking, what's this book? Why don't you put it down and come play with me? You know, and and when she finally finished it, she put it down. She left it on the table in the in the, you know, uh, uh, living room. And she said, hey, if you're ever interested, look at that book. Of course, I was curious. I picked up that book. I could not put it down. Don't ask me what it was about. It was a love story, you know, like kind of a young teen love story type thing. The details don't remember. I remember the author, uh, Susie Morgenstern. She has an American name. I think she might have had one or two parents American, but she uh, lived in France and wrote a lot of popular fiction for kids in France. Um, And I couldn't put it down. And I remember really this being a key point, like a turn in my, in my reading journey, if you will, and being like, man, books are great. They tell you amazing stories and you don't have to go anywhere. And yet you're traveling or you're dreaming or you're meeting super cool and interesting people. And so that was basically the beginning of the end. It was all over for you. <laughs> yeah, it was all over. But but I like to share this because I often have parents or grandparents who reach out to me and are really, really desperate that their kids or grandkids or other kids are not, in their lives are not reading. And I always tell people, I think it's because they haven't met the right book yet. Mm-hmm. It takes the right book. I think for, you know, 99% of the population, it's true. 
Hi, friends. Just a quick break to remind you that even though we are melting through a blazing hot summer here in California and the thought of the winter holidays seems like a fever dream, I am nonetheless hard at work on my second annual kids gift giving episode where I interview a bunch of young people about their favorite book. It was my favorite episode to record last year because kids are my favorite people. And you all very clearly agreed. It's still far and away my most popular episode. If you knew a young person ages 5 to 20 who would like to tell me about a book, I would love to talk to them. Go to my website, juliewroteabook.com, and click on the button that says, Be a guest on the second annual Kids YA Gift Giving Guide. I can't wait to hear from you. Now, back to the show. So tell me, how did you find this book that we are discussing today, mm-hmm. Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson? I had picked it up at a bookstore. I honestly don't remember where or what the circumstances were. Um, but it's, I had heard of Brian Stevenson. I have been an activist and especially in the work against the death penalty for a number of years. So I had heard his name. I had read about him. Uh, so when the book came out, I was really intrigued, really excited. I picked it up. I read it so quickly. I was in tears the whole time. I passed it on to my husband. I said, you need to read this. And, um, you know, it, it, it was, a, I call it a transformative book for me because, um, Sadly, a lot of the stories that Brian Stevenson describes in his book are stories that as as an activist, I had either heard about or I had heard very similar stories. Um, And, you know, I I can't say I was surprised or or learned something devastatingly new, but I was really, really happy, if you can use that word in that context, that this book would finally get a much wider audience because it was touching upon uh, a subject and, and topics that were really close to my heart. It's beautifully written. And I thought, finally, you know, um, some of those stories that are have been untold for too long are going to reach, you know, mass market. And that's, that's what this book has done, really. Can you tell my listeners what sure. this book is about? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Brian Stevenson is an attorney who started um, an organization, a nonprofit called the Equal Justice Initiative. But so it's his memoir of being an attorney in the South. He's originally from Delaware and working on some of the most complicated legal cases representing people who have no money to pay for an attorney. The vast majority of cases he works on are death penalty cases, but he worked on many other cases. He worked on cases uh, with children in foster care. He worked on cases um, of abused spouses, uh, rape victims, etc. He's He's an attorney who represents and he defends people who have been turned down by everyone else, basically. Um, he's honestly one of my heroes. He's amazing. Uh, he writes beautifully about 
I know you read the book about Mm -hmm. stories that are just heartbreaking. It's stories of injustice after stories of injustice in this book, one after the other. Um, And, you know, I, this book for me resonated particularly strong because it's this, the, the concept of injustice is something that has been on my mind ever since I was a little girl did you learn something new in this book or did it confirm what you already understood about the American justice system? Sadly, I did not learn something new mm. <laughs> um, because I, you know, I was trained as a lawyer. I went to law school in France. I did a, a master's of law here. Uh, and again, as an activist, I also um, you know, knew a lot about similar cases. So, but I, I, it just deepened my respect for people who do this work and my conviction that as a human being, I have to do my part, whatever form it takes to bring those stories of injustice to the forefront, to people's consciousness. So, you know, hopefully each of us make a choice to make a difference. Well, this is my last question for you, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it now because mm-hmm. what can we do? I came out of this book with this feeling of just, oh my God, this situation is terrible. We have to throw everything away and start over, which is obviously not going to happen. No. I Did you come out of this book with a feeling of hope? No. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. No, I mean, you know, Brian Stevenson's won a lot of cases. Uh, I mean, the central case in his in his book, uh, Walter McMillan, you know, was. I mean, he talks about a, a lot of other cases in the book, but Walter McMillan was convicted of a murder he did not commit. He was innocent. He was in jail for six years, and he was eventually free uh and his conviction was overturned but it so there's hope in that sense but you know you also learn that obviously he was damaged to a point of no return and he died much too early um and his family you know is scarred as every other family who goes through an experience like this um so so what can people do? You know, I, I've wondered this so much and I have wondered it so much over the years that I did activism work. And I came to the conclusion that it really starts locally. What anyone can do is to look around where you live, be interested in the local politics, uh, vote for elections but truly vote like truly do your research you know uh the judges you vote for make a difference in the cases that are or similar cases as the ones Mm -hmm. presented in this book um who you choose to put on school board uh school boards around the country makes a big difference uh the type of education that our children are going to receive um So I really came out with this understanding that you don't make big changes by starting at the top. 
you make big changes by starting where you are. And those changes may look like it's very, very small, but they're one more step towards a bigger, uh, a bigger change, a you know, bigger sense of justice for all. Um, I live in a very, very privileged area. I'm white. I'm a woman. I, I truly believe in the power of books and stories to tell stories of people who are not looking like me, who are not sounding like me. And that understanding of other people's story, other people's culture, other people's background is a first step in living together in the community. I, I really, truly believe that. I think it's a very strong thing about books. And that's probably what I love most about book selling is I don't need to read about, I mean, I like that too, but I don't need to just read about people who look like me or sound like me or have the same life as me. I'm so much more interested in what others, you know, face. The man, the main, the main focus of the story, Walter McMillan was actually at a, uh, not a barbecue, a, a fish fry at his family's yeah. house, his entire family, his entire extended mm-hmm. family. And most of the neighborhood was at the house for this and saw fish him fry mm-hmm. and saw him while mm-hmm. the murder was happening. So here I am, you know, in, in, white woman in orange county going well then this i don't understand what we're even talking about here why is yep. why are we even talking and i sat back and went god damn you privileged yep. spoiled brat yep. because <laughs> it was almost it was like a fantasy novel or a science fiction novel to me it boggled my mind mm-hmm. and he tells story after story about how differently people of color and children of color, that yep. was where it really got me, that chapter eight about the children, yep. mm-hmm. and poor people are treated in the system that that we assume mm-hmm. from our privilege, we assume it's meant to work for us. We, Absolutely. We go, but I was at the barbecue. Everyone saw me. We're done. Yeah. Because for me, that is how it would work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'd never had been prosecuted never we quite literally live in two different justice systems which oh, i yeah. hear a yeah. lot yeah but it didn't really hit me until reading this book absolutely and you know i will never pretend to understand um what people of a different color a different origin a different part of the world go through mm-hmm. but i will sure do my very best to be an ally and to understand and to try to explain to others who may treat them differently and with injustice that this is wrong and why it is wrong. Um, I, I think it's our common responsibility. What is the legacy of the history of this country built yes. on slavery? Well, this is the justice system we have. And like you said, it is two justice system systems it's it's not just one it's two and the same one is not applied the same way depending on the color of your skin on your economic status on your gender 
on your sexuality, mm-hmm. on your religion, et cetera, et cetera. Mental well-being. Mental well-being. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, when I had the store, I was, and I still am, I was so proud. This was our bestseller. And the reason was, um, and you know, this is something I'm sure other booksellers have told you, hand selling is an incredible tool that booksellers have at their disposal. And so I always had a stack of that book in the store. And anytime someone would come in, not sure what they wanted, I would make sure I would get this book in their hands. Mm. (laughs) And then there was a, uh, the publisher was really smart. The publisher released a young reader's version of Just Mercy. Uh, So it's an adaptation. Yeah. It's, it's been done for a lot of books that were popular, like Michelle Obama's memoirs adapted for young readers and others anyway so i then started to sell that one a lot too and i think it's great is this a book you reread frequently so interesting uh i don't usually reread books i like or i don't usually reread books well there's a question of time. Yeah, (laughs) I have very little time to, you know, I would love to reread some books. I also, I'm someone who loves to stay on my first impression of a book. So, but for, for, for this, for you, for the purpose of my interview with you, I actually did uh, reread it pretty quickly, but I did because I wanted to remember some of the details and, uh, and the feeling. Yeah. And does, is it feel different? It felt the same. It felt just absolutely, it feels like a fundamental book to me. I heard Brian Stevenson speak in San Diego. Oh my gosh. He was absolutely amazing. There was not one dry eye in the entire auditorium. I like that you use the word fundamental because Walter McMillan died did not die in prison, but um, at his funeral, mm-hmm. Brian Stevenson, he said, the real question of capital punishment in this country is not whether people deserve to die for crimes they commit, but do we deserve to kill? Yes. And this is what I put in my notes. I use the word fundamental also. Until we can reckon with that fundamental question, mm-hmm. we can't fix this. We can't keep no. arguing about this until we no. really reckon with. And if we have decided that we get to kill, we're never going to solve this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I told you for years, I, I was an activist with different um, human rights organizations, and the main one was Amnesty International. And so I participated in countless discussions and presentations uh, about the death penalty. And, you know, the movement against the death penalty evolved. And at one point, I think some of the leaders in the movement realized that they had to start talking numbers, how much it cost um, so much more to kill someone than to keep them in jail for life and other arguments. And I would always, you know, and I understand using those arguments. I understand it works for some people, but I I would always go back to what a system using the death penalty does. What it does is it takes the, the right to kill in your name and in my name, because we are the citizens of this system. We are the people who have put in place, you know, the, the politicians, the lawyers, the judges, et cetera. 
So this system does things in our name. And I go back again to that fundamental moral question. Has anyone the right to kill in my name? And my answer is no, absolutely not. You do not have the right to kill, period. I don't care who you are. Do not kill. I'm an atheist. I'm not a religious person. And yet, my understanding is that a lot of religious people will agree with me. Do not kill. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly, don't do it in my name. Do you read like this all the time? Or do you alternate? Do you have to cleanse your palate with something fluffy? Or or do you really stay committed to this all the, this kind of reading? So I do a lot of this kind of reading. I, I rarely read things that are too light just because I'm I'm usually bored, to be honest. Uh-huh. <laughs> Someone I have a lot of friends who've asked me over the years, why do you read such depressing things? I think one way for me to in some different times in my life to cope with my own um, sadness and other, you know, issues has been to read things that were so much more sad than what my life is or was. And to be like, you know, you're pretty lucky. Mm. So I sometimes think it's a form of therapy for me to read heavy stuff. But yeah, of course I do read light stuff. Oh, absolutely. I love to read to laugh. Uh, I find it hard to find books that made, make me laugh, but when I do, I cling on to those. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I wish uh, Ali Wong would write another book because I don't think I have laughed so hard reading a book. Me too. And that's another one that is great in audio. I've read it and listened to it in audio. She's so funny. She is hilarious. Oh my gosh. What are you reading these days? Uh, So I am finishing um, a book I love called Immediate Family. Oh, it's a beauty. It's a gem. It's a fiction. It seems to me like it must be based on something very real for her, maybe, or someone she knows. It's a story of a woman who has... An adopt a younger adopted brother who, when he gets married, asked her to give a speech, and in preparing for that speech comes back a lot of memories from their childhood and his arrival. He was adopted adopted from Thailand, and and also a lot of her issues as a woman in trying to conceive and have a child. It's so beautiful. Um, There is something very personal for me. My sister was adopted. So there's a lot. I think my interest in that book was also very much guided by my own story and the story of my sister. Um, Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. Her writing is superb. I highly recommend it. Immediate Family, um, Ashley Nelson Levy. Uh, I also read, and that's, I wanted to mention this earlier when we were having this conversation um, around Brian Stevenson's book, is called Learning in Public. Courtney, Courtney Martin? Yes, exactly. Courtney E. Martin. Yes, exactly. 
so it's a nonfiction. She, if you know, Oakland, California, is one of the most deserved, uh, di- sorry, diverse city in the United States. You know, the Oakland Hills are usually populated with white, wealthy individuals, and the lower land of Oakland is where African American, Latinos, and other uh, less, you know, um, privileged population live. And she happens to live down um, in, in a in a community where she is a minority as a white woman. And when it comes time to decide where to send her kid to school, her first daughter and then her second one, um, her and her husband, you know, are confronted with the realities of school choices. And I think every person, well, every white parent has probably had these kind of conversations and these kind of decisions, but she basically decides to send her kid to the local school, to her neighborhood school, that is large, large majority African-American, where her kid will be a minority, and where everyone else around her tells her, do not send your kid there. Mm-hmm. And I, she tells her story with such honesty, with provocation in a good way. Like, it really made me think a lot about how we white privileged parents tackle these issues. And uh, there's so much hypocrisy, you know, so much hypocrisy. And I know it's not how we will solve the world problem, but we do have to address these kind of issues. You know, we have to, segregation is in school, you know, and it has to, we have to do better. We can do better. I just read an article about um, real estate agents and when they say it's close to good schools, Uh how that is coded language for privileged white neighborhoods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, and I, I I hope I don't sound like I'm complaining when I say this, because I think these moments are so important to our growth as humans. It was one of those, reading one of those things where I went, oh my God, I have participated in this. It's so great to be confronted with these moments and to get really uncomfortable when we recognize the times we have participated or ignored, not even participated, just ignored. Ignored. Because we can. Yeah. And you know, in these issues, neutrality is dangerous. So mm-hmm. when you say, you know, having ignored it, you have participated, you have yes. made it an issue, you have, uh, you know, sanctioned these segregation systems. And that's a problem. And the first step, the first step is to acknowledge it, and then do something about it. Mm-hmm. I think it was Howard Zinn, who's another one of my favorite writers and historian, U.S. historian, um, who wrote, you can't be neutral on a moving train. You know, Mm. things are moving, things are changing, things are going fast, and neutrality is not an option. How can my listeners find you? Sure. So, you know, um, my most active place is Instagram. I think this is how you found me. Yes. Uh, so it's run f- on Instagram. It's at run for cover bookstore. 
Uh, it's the same for Facebook. And I also have a Twitter account uh, at RFC Bookstore. And we have, um, uh, we also have a website. And I try to keep up on, you know, what the upcoming events are. And so it's runforcoverbookstore.com. We have a virtual launch and reading on Saturday with a wonderful local author of a picture book, uh, Survivor Tree by Marcy Colleen and illustrated by Aaron Becker. And it's an amazing book about a tree that survived the 9-11 attacks at the World Trade Center. So it's a picture book. It's for children. It's an amazing story. And I'm working on other events coming up. So, you know, keep up. And, And I post. I post everything that's coming up. So... This has been so lovely talking to you. I hope you will come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Thank you, Julie. uh, It's been really a pleasure. Seriously, really, really nice. Thank you, I would love that. And one day we'll meet in person. I can't wait. (laughs) I know. Thanks for listening, bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. Remember, whenever you're book shopping, help support indie bookstores and this podcast by using my affiliate link at bookshop.org slash shop slash best book ever. Bookshop's mission is to support local independent bookstores. And if you shop using my link, I get a small percentage of your purchase at no extra expense to you. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. My brain, Julie, these days is just is like a Gruyere (laughs) cheese, you know, it's full of holes. I know exactly.